And now I was being hit by all these emotions that I didn't care about before. I didn't have to address them. But me having to meet the needs of my child meant that I had to address the needs that I had as a child that were not met. And that was the hardest part of parenting that I'm still working on. But the more I work on it, the better parent I am for my kids. But it's that piece of me, that unlearning and that going back to my childhood. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Today's episode marks a really special milestone, and I want to start here. You are tuning into the 100th episode of I'm Not Your Shrink, and I actually can't believe we are here. When I think of where I started in 2019 in my basement closet, asking my pup, so Lachlan, to sit beside me so he wouldn't bark at the window and the kids were out of the house at daycare. And here we are so many years later, so many seasons and a hundred episodes. I cannot believe it. And we are three quarters of the way to a million downloads. Mostly I'm grateful for you for being here, for joining me in the conversations, for telling your friends, your partner, your loved ones to download a certain episode and join me on the podcast. All of your shares your personal DMs to me, letting me know what stood out for you from different episodes. We are here at episode number 100. And it's just been such a fantastic year. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the chance to be doing this podcast with the support of Podcast Nation as we continue to grow. And I just can't wait for the next 100 episodes. I think we need to bring more Greg on, but you will have to tell me because has a lot to contribute. I know he does. And we've had a lot of fun in our podcast episodes, but also there are more Q&A sessions coming, which I know they are always one of your favorites. Ah, There is so much more to come. So many more exciting conversations. So let me pause and celebrate 100 and savor this moment for you joining me here and clicking play. All right. We have been diving into all things emotions in the last several podcast episodes, and today is another needed conversation. I'm going to say this upfront. I asked Dr. Cindy the hard question that often shows up in conversations when it comes to parenting. I do it near the end. So I need you to stay until the end because her answer is why we are doing this work. Now, when we think of the journey that we're on today as parents and partners, Our ability to share information has spread faster beyond what we could have thought possible. Even when I think back to my first research project, those results sit in a book somewhere, unpublished and not shared. And that was in 2006. But what we are seeing is the spread of decades of research now to help us understand one of the most important things. And this is what it means to be dependent and to be secure with another person. Today, we're talking about emotion regulation and how this is a key skill we all need. I'm sitting with Dr. Cindy Hovington. She is a mom of three and holds a doctorate degree in neuroscience. She is the founder of Curious Neuron, co-founder of Wondergrade, and host of the Curious Neuron podcast. Curious Neuron is a resource for parents that shares digestible bits of science focused in emotional development and mental well-being in kids and their parents. She creates tools to help parents support their child's emotional development through the Wondergrade app. She has worked with brands like Airbnb, Pampers, and Dialogue, and has been featured in today's Parents, The Bump, and Le Figaro in France, and has an Instagram following of over 135,000 followers. Let's go into today's conversation. (music) 
Cindy, I am so excited to be sitting with you today. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. One of your posts recently stood out to me. And I think this is such a powerful place for us to start because I know the work you're doing in your community is helping so many parents and not just in their parenting role, but also in the work they're doing with themselves and our understanding around emotion regulation. Mm. And it's actually something we haven't explicitly talked about here on the podcast. So I'm thrilled to jump into this, but let's talk about this post and maybe you can tell us a bit more about what you mean here. And the post that really resonated with me was, our goal as parents is to respond to our children's behavior and emotions rather than react to it. What does that mean? It's- You know, that's what comes up so often from parents is that I hear them say, I react to my child. I go from zero to 100 or I feel triggered and I just yell at them. And that's why I wanted to address that in this post, um, just in terms of how do we switch from, you know, always reacting to our kids to responding to their needs, responding to what they will need from us in that moment. You know, we often see the externalization of the emotion, which is the behavior part. And regardless of that, that's in children and in adults. But what we need to see and by responding, we are also seeing what's happening underneath that and what is the underlying emotion to that behavior and and what was the need behind that. So that's what I mean by responding. It's truly taking the time. And it's that pause that you and I have spoken about before. It's taking that time or creating that space. Dr. Susan David talks about a space between like an action and a reaction or a stimulus and a response. And that's exactly what helps us respond more than reacting, creating that sort of pause between that. Between that space. And I think so many people listening can relate to that zero to 100. And I know for myself, if I just think of what's happening inside of me, Mm. is that at the end of the day, I have done all the things. I've cared for my clients. We did the morning routine. I'm done at the end of the day. I've got maybe a little bit left in my bucket. And then Mm. we go home and there are a lot of big feelings. So after school, the after school letdown. And then you get through dinner and 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 end, and then bedtime comes around. Mm-hmm. And it's just that one more thing. My daughter did it last night. It's like, I need a Kleenex. I need to go to the bathroom. I need water. Right? Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's that moment where it's the overwhelm inside of us. What's happening for us as parents well, in those moments? So first of all, you said it very well, where it's that you have just a little bit left in your bucket, right? And that's the piece where it becomes very hard. The way that I see that little bit left in your bucket is I'm slightly or almost completely dysregulated and I need to regulate myself, whether that's some sort of, you know, addressing your needs in some way. First of all, dysregulation is when your nervous system, you know, is is somehow dysregulated. It could be that your focus and attention is not the same that it would be if you were regulated. You have something on your mind. You know, your heart isn't at its calmest. Your breathing rate might be a little bit more elevated and you don't even realize it. Something physiological is happening and something in the nervous system is happening so that if you are in this state and you are starting bedtime and your child asks for one more glass of water, one more Kleenex, now they're hungry all of a sudden you can't respond the same way that you would if you were fully regulated. So fully regulated means you're calm enough to create that pause. You're calm enough to have the thought of, okay, they just need one more thing. I can get through this versus when you're dysregulated. And I like to look at it as three different zones. The green zone being you're fully regulated. Yellow zone, meaning you're slightly dysregulated, not fully concentrated. Something's a little bit off. There might be something on your mind, a little bit of stress. Versus the red zone where you're just about to explode, something will happen. And it doesn't mean that it has to be something bad necessarily, right? It could be something's missing from the fridge that you thought you had for dinner and now you lose it, right? You start, Mm -hmm. you can scream, you can cry, or your child does or says something that isn't necessarily that triggering, but you're in the red zone. So you lose it right away. You react. So if we go back to that bedtime piece, if you're in the yellow or the red zone, it's more likely that you will lose it and react because you don't have the capacity left or the resources left to create that space anymore. So it's really important for us to kind of guide ourselves, not guide, but check in, like I call them the dysregulation check-ins throughout the day, because a new day doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the green zone. If we think back to our past and we think back to how we were brought up or any trauma we might have experienced, we might struggle a lot as a person to get ourselves into the green zone. Our green zone might be 
at some point in the spectrum of like the yellow zone, maybe at the beginning of it or middle, we might be stuck in those zones of continuous slight dysregulation. And that might be because of whatever happened to us, perhaps in the past, maybe a childhood where you didn't always feel safe or didn't have that safe space. So your system is always ready to fight or flight. You don't realize it. So checking in with yourself means that you might catch yourself in that slight dysregulation in the morning and at least address it. It doesn't mean that there's something you can do about it in that moment, right? Because if you're getting ready for work and getting ready to leave and you realize I'm in the yellow zone, so I'm like tiptoeing between that green or red or anything might throw me into the red zone, just being aware of it, that awareness piece can actually help you create that pause that you need to respond to your child. Just being aware that you are in the yellow zone and then something happens. Like I talk about spilled milk sometimes where you just, you didn't need that to happen in the morning. You're already late and now there's spilled milk. This happened literally to me yesterday where my four-year-old just spilled the milk all over the place and we had a tennis class to attend to and I knew we were going to be late and we were late. (laughs) But in that moment, I was regulated. So I was able to address it calmly Doesn't mean I wasn't mad or frustrated, but I was able to still respond to him where I could see that he was sad and and felt really sad that he spilled it on the shorts he wanted to wear to tennis. And I was able to address his needs in that moment. So just because I knew where I was at, I responded accordingly to that. So that check-in piece is really important. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. I really like how you're bringing in past and present here. In the Mm -hmm. sense that I know even the messaging that many people get where it's like, 
you just need a good night's sleep. Everything will be better tomorrow, right? A good night's mm-hmm. sleep will get you better tomorrow. And sometimes that is true. It might. Right. right. It might. It could. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think you're also bringing in the context of the day-to-day life. So are you in a big transition? Are you getting enough sleep? We're in a season where one of our kids is waking us up in the middle of the night. And so we're starting the day not completely refreshed. And it can sometimes feel like we're already starting in the yellow but you're adding something here that you and I had also even talked on your podcast, mm-hmm. which is that you have a blueprint, you have previous experiences that will impact how you are able to do the emotional regulation piece, mm-hmm. the nervous system piece based on that past experience. What should people be trying to do if they want to do these regulation check-ins? Yeah. So I think first addressing your childhood, you know, how were emotions perceived in your home? What are some ways that your parents helped you through your emotions? And very often when I speak to parents about this, it's that there wasn't any coping skills that were taught to them. Not necessarily a home that didn't create that safe space for emotions. There are some people that say, well, my parents were very loving. And, and you know, I always felt safe to say that I was sad or mad. But then they never really gave me something to do once I was sad or mad. We hear about like sitting with our emotions these days. That's another thing in social media. Right? Like sit with your sadness. It's what okay. The, like okaying the emotion, right? Right. Which yeah. It's helpful. It's one piece. But you're saying there's a bigger but piece to what? do it. Well, yeah. But then right. What? So our parents didn't teach us that. And now what's happening is that piece of the kids come in and now they're sad or they're mad or frustrated or anxious. And we have no idea what to do with our own. And we're like, okay, sit with it. What does that mean? Let me sit with you while you're angry and let it pass or let me distract you. So it's so hard to know what to do. So going back into our past allows us to say, like, what did that look like in my home? Like, how do I interpret emotions now as an adult or how do I cope with them or manage them as an adult? How did that come into play? And how does that impact relationships that I'm in? How does that impact the relationship with my partner, with my coworkers, right? Am I externalizing emotions a lot? Am I internalizing emotions a lot? So at nighttime, perhaps I'm ruminating on certain things that I could have just said it out loud to that person. I could have set that boundary. I could have said how that made me feel. So just really thinking back to how it looked like in your home and how you're doing it now with people around you because you are modeling this for your kids. So that's the piece that I always tell parents. You don't have to know how to do everything right away, but that awareness piece and speaking out loud, I think you and I had spoken about, you know, the repair part and saying it out loud in front of your kids. Well, there's the emotional awareness piece that's important for your kids to hear. And a way that I like to do that is saying, I'm feeling blank. Just because I I want parents to kind of put the two together. There's a reason why you feel that way. You're not just mad. I'm mad. No, I'm feeling mad because something happened. And your child can hear that and see that you're at least labeling it and expressing it. And that's a good place to start. If you have no idea how to cope with emotions, that's where I would begin if I was a parent. Mm. I really like that place to start. I also think that that can be this kind of releasing that pressure valve or the boiling right. pot of water, right? Taking the right. lid off and letting steam out, which we know has a lot of power in that strategy of name it to tame it, right? Of just being able to say out loud, I'm feeling really overwhelmed in this moment. Right. Sometimes we don't need to do anything else. It's just that acknowledgement of what your internal experience is can help you start to make that next step forward. Just regulate too sometimes, right? Like you're acknowledging and validating. I say this to parents as well. Like, why is it important for you to validate your child's emotions? Well, it's the same reason why it's important for you to have your emotions validated. And we think back to relationships and just feeling overwhelmed. And when your partner says like, I can see you're overwhelmed. And all of a sudden you just feel like, like this weight was lifted off your shoulders, even if you're in the same situation. So if you can do that in those little moments for yourself throughout the day, you will validate your own emotions in a very small way, but in a significant way enough for you to respond to your child. It's tricky in this sense, because here we are a generation of parents. And I know many parents today will say, I didn't have this growing up. And I didn't, I don't know what this looks like. And this is really hard to do. Something that I try to remind myself within the context of our own family is just this opportunity for us to continue to grow and evolve. And especially when it comes to the parenting work that we're doing, I like to remind parents, you're not supposed to be perfect in this. And I liked how you said that, you know, that awareness and that learning the skill and moving forward. I think back to 
was it maybe two years on the podcast now where I recalled a story of yelling at my daughter, go to bed because I had gone zero to a hundred and it was like 8 PM. I wanted to tap out and call it a night. And Mm -hmm. now today I can see when I'm reaching those harder moments, I can take that breath. Last night I was able to take the breath and see more of her vulnerability and see what she needed. And I got a glass of water and I was doing the (laughs) stuff for me in that moment. Anger is a really big emotion that shows up for people. And I I recently did an episode and many people came back and had said like, wow, this is everything that we learned about anger growing up, which was don't feel it, step down. Only Mm -hmm. adults are allowed to be angry. You're not supposed Mm -hmm. to be angry. And it also brought up this question from people around, well, what do I do? Like, how do I teach my kids what to do with anger? So maybe you Mm -hmm. could support us a little bit in terms of what do we teach them? So it's interesting because something recently happened with my youngest um well right before he turned four and it showed me that whatever we're doing here is kind of working with our kids first i think that we sometimes when we say stuff like the emotion we sometimes get mad when a child expresses anger by yelling or by stomping their feet or walking away maybe i'm going against it but like i don't think it's necessarily wrong and, and you know unless they have hurt somebody or said something mean or threw something or you know there's a boundary But we yell as adults and sometimes it feels regulating to get it out and we get mad. So first, with a child who's angry, like my three-year-old did a couple of weeks ago, he got mad and yelled at his brother because his older brother wasn't sharing a certain toy. And then he walked away. And I also too is just such a normal experience for anger because anger comes from that unjust, Mm. unfair experience, right? I'm feeling wronged right now. Of course, I'm angry at you. Right. And, you know, it's easy to kind of discipline that behavior because he yelled at his brother, his brother. I didn't know what had happened at that moment. And then he just stomped all the way upstairs and closed the door to his room. And it's interesting because even as somebody who has studied this, I had to step back because I wanted to kind of go there and say, like, don't yell at your brother, you know, and yell back at him. But you have to take a step back and realize that he actually expressed his anger in a really healthy way. He did a name call. He didn't disrespect his brother. He didn't throw anything. He just yelled and said, it's not fair and stomped upstairs. And I went to see him and he was just sitting on his rocking chair crying and gave him the space he needed and said, I'll sit here and let me know when you want to talk because he was so dysregulated at that point. Even if I would have told him like or asked him questions, I could have asked him a million questions. What happened? It didn't matter at that point. So I think allowing our kids to have that space, again, similarly to us, you and I had spoken about like stepping away and and I liked hearing that because sometimes we see that as like you're avoiding something. But that mm. moment of anger sometimes needs some space. Going back to that space, you don't want them to react. You want them to respond. So he reacted, walked away and took the time he needed. Once he was coming down that sort of dysregulation mode, I asked him what had happened. He explained it. He was still very angry. And then I said, would you like to read a book in your room and come down when you're ready? And he did. And he came down maybe five minutes later and then went to see his brother with his arms crossed. He was still upset and said, you made me mad. You didn't share. And his brother said, yes, but, you know, you were doing this and it was upsetting me. So I decided to pull that away from you. And they had a conversation and played together two minutes later. And I think that's what we want to look for when it comes to that anger piece, that safe emotional space to say, I'm angry, that space to be able to move away from whatever is making you angry, that thing that's triggering you, whether it's a sibling or what, even us sometimes, we might have said something to our kids and we want to discipline them because they yelled and they walked away. But in essence, they got that space. And if we can sit back and have that repair piece that you spoke about, that applies in parenting as well. Sitting down with them and saying, what happened? What did I say? Or what happened? Why did you walk away? Or you seemed really mad, you know, like, can you explain to me what led to that? understanding them and having the conversation and apologizing if you need to, that's huge in terms of emotional intelligence and emotional growth Mm. because you've given them that space. So I think when it comes to anger, it's really, it's not just about labeling. I think we get stuck in that moment of labeling with our kids and saying, my child can label X amount of emotions. Why aren't they coping with with the emotions yet? There's another piece to that. There's a self-awareness. What does it feel like to be angry in my body with you have young kids? 
how do I respond externally so I could feel an emotion a certain way in my body, but I'll express it and behave and act a certain way when I feel that sort of emotion at that level in my body. I might yell when I'm at a 10 for anger. I might walk away, whatever it is. Bringing more of that into the conversation piece for yourself to model it to your child, but also in retrospect with your child saying, I noticed that when you got mad, you got up and you walked away or you yelled. How are you feeling inside? Did you feel your heart racing? Did you feel your jaw clenching? You know, were you making a fist? There are lots of externalizations with our emotions. So having those conversations will allow a child to express it in a way that's healthy for them. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. So I'm nodding along with you because it's like, <laughs> yes, yes, all of this, all of this. And then I'm going back into the real life moment of like, oh, this is so hard to do. Right. Parents are doing such hard work right now in terms mm. of having to do a lot of their own reparenting mm. at the same time as yes. parenting their own children. Because how can you be okay with your child expressing anger towards you if you were never given that space to do it yourself, right? So ugh, what you just said, it's such an important piece. And I think for me, you know, coming into parenting, I was extremely naive because I was saying, I just finished my PhD and I knew what I believed was everything about emotions and emotion regulation skills. So I had my first child and she was one of those quiet children who don't cry and she didn't sleep, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> but it, it was when... <laughs> who needs right? sleep, right? Yeah, you did a PhD, yeah. you got them. <laughs> you know, we can't anticipate, we can't expect to sleep, but what happened was that by the time she was about 18 months old, I was pregnant and about to give birth. So I had two very close in age and I was almost constantly dysregulated. I had a lot of nausea and didn't feel well and was overwhelmed because I was home with her while also pregnant, while also vomiting a lot. And I already had Kirsten on, so I was still kind of working through all of that. And I, I noticed that I had started yelling at her and I noticed that I was becoming the parent. I always told myself I wouldn't. And then came the feeling of guilt and why am I doing this? And then yelling at her for no reason, but it was about me. And I realized that this whole aspect of parenting, it didn't have to do with her and her behavior. It had to do with myself and the needs I needed to address. That for me came when I had my third child, again, close in age, where I was like, hold on a second. I am not myself anymore. I don't recognize myself. My mental health is deteriorating and I need to address this because I was trying to power through all of that. So I had to step back and say, who am I? Who am I now? Like, have I, what have I lost in myself? What parts of my childhood do I need to address? Because I was raised by a single mom, a father who just left. And now I was being hit by all these emotions that I didn't care about before. I didn't have to address them. But me having to meet the needs of my child meant that I had to address the needs that I had as a child that were not met. And that was the hardest part of parenting that I'm still working on. 
but the more I work on it, the better parent I am for my kids. But it's that piece of me, that unlearning and that going back to my childhood. You probably hear this from the parents that you work with. And actually, before I go into that, thank you, Cindy, for showing up here with us and sharing that part of you. I think this is such the powerful work that we're doing today in our field is showing up in a really real and human way where I know many years ago, therapists have kind of been this like mystical creature of blank Mm -hmm. slates and, you know, we don't show anything about ourselves. And yet we know that people change in connection with others. And I know the community you're building, you have connected with so many people and, you know, just helping others to feel seen by knowing, hey, you too had all the skills and tools. Mm -hmm. And then here you are, you know, like, whoa, where did this come from? And Mm -hmm. I always like to say when people ask me to introduce myself on podcasts or appearances, I say, you know, I used to think that doing a PhD would be the hardest thing that I would have to do in my life. Who wants to sit in a room and write about the same thing for five years (laughs) (laughs) and and then becoming a parent? My goodness, Mm -hmm. it was the hardest thing. It's also the reason why I put my stories in my book, because Mm -hmm. it is just that humanness of saying, I struggled too. You are not alone in that struggle. And it's just so hard. So thank you for that. I think there's this piece in here around when parents say, when someone says, I don't have any memories from childhood. And I commonly hear that. Or they'll say things like, I had a good childhood. There's nothing for us to talk about in there. Mm -hmm. And there are two things that can be true. I had a good childhood. And it's impossible for a parent to meet every single one of your needs. You know, you think of being the oldest child, just as a like an example, you had great parents. And at some point, if you were the firstborn, that attention shifted away from you. (laughs) And even if your parents were great parents and loved you so much, there were still moments where mom or dad or your parents caregiver was holding the other baby Mm -hmm. and you didn't get what you needed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I often like to say to people, you know, how are you reacting to your child's feelings right now? Mm -hmm. What comes inside of you when your child is angry? And this was a big learning moment for me. I have vivid memories of my childhood. Greg will say he's got memories at a different age and moving forward from that. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how we both have this very visceral reaction to when our son gets so angry and runs down to his room. And that like inside part of us is a window into what we learned about that emotion. Mm -hmm. Was it an emotion that was safe and accepted and okay? Mm -hmm. Or was it something that we had to fear and move away from or to like solve it and fix it and get rid of it? That's powerful. That's the hard work we're doing there. That is such hard work to do. And I think, you know, I hear the same thing as you in terms of what if I had a good childhood, you know, like what if everything was fine? And it's really about breaking it into pieces, like you said, you know, like certain emotions that your child might express and trying to think back to how you or your parents or your family responded to when you express that. I think it's really important to go back and just understand because there's this internalization piece as well, right? So you might not really show any emotions or don't want to show vulnerability, not wanting to connect, there might be something there that you don't realize has to do with what happened when you were a child. And, you know, you and I briefly touched on this before, like when we were chatting on my podcast, but, you know, you don't want to ignore that. And I've had this conversation with my partner as well and and with my friends where it's not to say that like, oh, it's because of that. So I'm still going to move forward and not change anything. It's just to understand where does that piece come from and what can you do with that now? And when it comes to emotions, I feel that in relationships, we see the impact of not having those emotion regulation skills because we might internalize more or externalize more and it comes out as yelling and, and more arguing. But understanding what happened when we were young and why we do certain things now as adults will help us move forward and make changes that we need, especially when it comes to our kids, because now it's not just you and your partner. It's a child who's looking at you and trying to figure out like, oh, mommy or daddy looks mad. But when I ask them if they're okay, they say they're fine. But their body language is telling me that they're mad. Their Mm. tone is telling me that they're mad. But they're saying that they're fine and like walking away saying, I'm fine. Right? Like that's modeling this for your child. And like you mentioned before, maybe growing up, your parents never had arguments or they never showed emotions. And now you think it has to be that way. But your child needs to see you have emotions. Parents have asked me sometimes, like, 
is it bad for me to show my child that I'm sad? Like, do I have to hide all that? My answer is no. As long as you talk about like things at a developmentally appropriate level, right? Because if it's something really deep or Uh serious, obviously you don't want to talk about it at that level, but it's okay to say mommy or daddy feels sad right now and I need a moment. It's okay to say those things. It's okay to show sadness, anger, and so on. You need to show those emotions because then you're not just showing them that they exist, but then they want to know, like, what do you do after? What happens once you feel that? So all of that to go back to, yes, we need to address our past and we need to model these kinds of things for our kids. And it's not, you know, even if you came from a good childhood, there might be some pieces there when it comes to emotions. You had mentioned Susan Davis earlier. If I'm thinking of who that is, that's the, what book did she write? Emotional Agility. Yes. And something really stood out for me from her book. And actually, I think I wrote about it in my book in in the sense that when we label our emotions, it's like having a life raft thrown to you mm-hmm. instead of being crashed against the waves out and sea. that labeling and being able to understand what this is inside of you is so anchoring. It's that self-awareness piece, right? And I did an activity with some parents where they had to, at the end of the week, choose like one situation that happened to them. And they had to name three emotions if they could from that situation. And parents always look at me and say like, what? What do you mean three emotions? And I said, sometimes it's tricky, but in that same moment, you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel angry. And you might feel confused, you know, or you might feel like happy, sad at the same time. There are lots of situations where we feel more than one emotion, but we don't take the time to label them. That labeling piece is so important and it is part of that self-awareness piece. And I think that that labeling piece allows us to start that work to understand the behaviors that we might have. So if you're just powering through certain behaviors with your child or with your partner, And you're not taking the time to think of when I have this behavior, I'm thinking this, perhaps you are hard on yourself, you're being really negative or saying like you're doing it again, Cindy, why are you saying that? Or why are you doing that? You always mess up or you always, you know, maybe you're thinking that way. And then maybe at the same time, you're feeling guilty. Well, what if you were to always go back and to think like to journal for five minutes every week and think back every time I do this and I act this way or I behave this way, I've noticed a pattern in my thinking and I've noticed a pattern in those two emotions that are mixed. Maybe that's where it's coming from. But I don't think that we could change when it comes to emotion regulation skills or our ability to understand ourselves if we don't look back, if we don't take the time to look back and say, what are some patterns that I'm noticing? And I don't just say this, I actually do it because I noticed well, after I had my third child and when I was starting to see things were getting really difficult, I started just journaling a little bit at the end of the day. And I noticed that around 4 p.m.-ish, I couldn't even hear sounds and I couldn't I couldn't hold a child. And it sounds weird, but I was having these like overstimulation moments of I had three kids under the age of four at home with me all day. And then the pandemic hit and it was just overwhelming for me to even just hear a cry. And I had to acknowledge that. And once you acknowledge that and realize, oh, my needs around dinner time are no TV. That's what worked for me. Mm. And my needs around dinner time are, you know, putting a step stool at the counter or the island so that nobody's in my arms. I can't. Even if I want to, I can't. And once I addressed that, I was different with them. My behavior changed. So I do think that you know, this work of Susan David really highlights that we have to really look in retrospect and start evaluating how we're behaving and how that's linked to our emotions and our thoughts. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I know that is such a foundational book in some of the piece. I know the other one that was big for me during my PhD, actually, there's two that come to mind around emotion regulation. Did you read Emotional and Social Intelligence? Well, the book's Emotional Intelligence. The follow-up was Social Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Yeah. Goleman. Yes. No, I haven't read the follow-up. I read his first one. Yes. Not yes. social. Oh. Yeah, they're, they're both so good. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was Emotions Revealed by Paul Ekman, which I believe he was the one who, or was it Daniel Goleman? One of them was consulted for Inside Out in terms of emotion and emotion regulation. Got it. Yeah, which is so cool. So I always love sitting with child psychologists and those who work in more of the parenting sphere because there's such an overlap in terms of what we do mm-hmm. and when people are like I use this statement with my child you want me to use it with my partner yes 
yes. because they're all attachment <laughs> bonding. We're mm-hmm. all trying to build security, connection, and safety. So my homework for couples who are struggling to feel connected is simply that print out the emotion wheel. Mm-hmm. And I want you to share one emotion each day. You're not allowed to share frustrated because frustrated has a lot of other things underneath it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to tell me what you think about Peter in the book. When you get to that point, you'll mm-hmm. know what I mean with Peter and frustration. But sit down and say, today I felt, mm-hmm. or there was a moment where I was feeling, and then pick mm-hmm. the emotion and then describe it. And the job there for you is to describe what was happening for you so you can label and anchor into that feeling. But then the job for your partner is don't problem solve and just to listen and understand and ask questions about that feeling, Mm -hmm. which can be things like, where did you feel that in your body? And it's okay if some people don't know that answer. (laughs) A lot Mm -hmm. of people don't. Um, but it's just that question of, hmm, did I feel that in my body? Because emotions come with a bodily sensation. Mm-hmm. Or what thoughts did you have when that feeling came up? What memory was stirred up for you? Mm-hmm. What was the urge or the action that you wanted to do in that moment? Because all of that all goes together. So I love this conversation. If parents are struggling with emotion regulation with their children, like what's the top one or two things that you mm-hmm. remind them of? That awareness piece first, you know, like just being aware of when you are experiencing emotions and when your child is feeling those emotions and that self-awareness piece just allows you to recognize when it's happening. And, you know, similar to the work that you're doing, it's just so important to at least recognize because I think it's really easy for us to kind of power through our days and not be aware of when it's happening. So I call it like being, you know, an emotionally aware parent, like how can you at least bring more awareness to those moments where you're having even a tiny moment of something, tiny moment, your partner says something to you and you just like let it go, right? But you didn't really let it go because it caused even a small fraction of frustration in you or anger or sadness or whatever it was. Just be aware of that moment. And then the next piece is awareness, but awareness of how you kind of cope with emotions? Do you tend to internalize more? Do you tend to externalize more? And it's not about never doing that. It's not that perfection piece, but are you leaning more towards one of those? Because if you are internalizing a lot and ruminating, that means you're not communicating enough about how you're feeling and what's happening. And again, your child is watching, right? So you want to make sure that you can model some of these. And that awareness piece is always the easiest place that we can start as parents. If you're noticing a lot of big emotions within your child and you don't know how to address theirs as well, just having that safe space. Like what does a safe space look like in your home? That safe space to express emotions is not getting angry because they're feeling certain emotions. And if you don't know how to help them move past it, just give them the space to express it and in a way that is safe for them, for others around them, but letting them know like they can do that here in your home. And I think that's just the baby step, the small, the first tiny little steps that you can do, even if you don't know what to do next, just to start off with that. And it could be the hardest part as well, because that awareness piece means that you have to look back in your day and understand like, what did I do? Why did I say that? But you're not even going there at this point. It's just awareness and just being aware of what's going on. I really like how you shared this piece around tuning into that overstimulation at dinner time and what you needed in that moment so that you could be present and regulated with the kids. Right. And that sometimes yeah. we need for ourselves those small tweaks because overstimulation is real. Dysregulation is a real experience. And I always say to clients, you know, we don't have to get stuck in the why. Like, why am I feeling this way? Right. Why? It's true. Why is this happening yes. right now? We don't need to find the why, but we do need to find the choice of what you do in that moment, that choice Mm -hmm. of whether I'm going to yell or the choice of I'm going to grab another tool that's in my toolbox. Right. And then you figuring out like, I need a bit of space and distance from all of this in those moments to be Mm -hmm. able to help me through that, I think is so important. I forgot to mention also, I think that piece that we mentioned, that sort of dysregulation meter, right? Like, where am I? Which zone am I in? I think that's another easy step that we can do. And mm. it falls within the awareness. But just asking yourself multiple times throughout the day, like, where am I? Am I in the green zone, yellow zone, red zone? Not even having to address, like you said, like, the why doesn't matter. Your past at that point, you don't have to address it. But just understanding where you are in that moment. Um, And it's that curiosity piece, right? I think you mentioned this in your book. And this is something that 
Curious Neuron is founded on curiosity and compassion. That's why it's Curious Neuron, because I do believe that once we get curious about children's behaviors and their emotions, that we can understand them a lot more and everything is in the brain. So hence Curious Neuron. But, you know, I think that piece of just understanding and being aware and labeling where we are, not labeling, but identifying where we are on that dysregulation meter will help us have a little bit more control. And hopefully when we gain a bit more of that control, we gain more a bit of that self-compassion piece because that's something we didn't even touch on. And it really impacts how we deal with our emotions and how we judge our emotions and how we judge ourselves for feeling those emotions and behaving a certain way in those emotions. If you can bring in that curiosity and compassion, things will get a little bit easier. I have one question. It's a quick <laughs> one, but it's a big one. And I know you've shared this on your social. So this is why I want to bring it here so that it has a space to live. So I think it's really important. So one of your posts, you had said, hitting a child to inflict pain as a method of discipline is still considered physical abuse, even without injury. Yeah, I address this and I will continue to address this because I've read the science and it's something that I still get pushed back. I'm okay with that pushback because I'm confident with the knowledge and the research that I've read. We have as parents, and this falls back within emotion regulation skills, if we as a parent struggle so much with regulating our emotions that we can't create that pause that is long enough to stop us from hating a child. It is not a form of discipline. It is abuse. And that is not a belief or it is truly what we see in research. When a child is in that environment, an ACE, which is an adverse childhood experience, includes being hit by a parent. It creates a disconnect of some sort. And the architecture of the brain is shaped very differently and the feeling of safety is gone for that child. I get lots of DMs when I post those. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because I want to have the conversation. I'm not posting about these two point fingers at parents because they are bringing in their past and how they were yeah. parented and what they understand mm -hmm. and what they have in their toolbox. But when we don't see an alternative to that, we are missing something for a child. Our, you know, parents will tell me, I was hit and I turned out fine. That is the most common, you know, response that I'll get to that. And they'll tell me that they're doctors and they're lawyers and all of these things. And that is not what I'm looking for. I am looking for how do you regulate emotions? And you might struggle with it if you can't stop yourself from being in that moment and hitting your child. We have all been in moments where the rage is so intense, even with young kids, you know, with shaken baby syndrome. I had one moment with my second child where I consciously stepped back. I was sleep deprived. It had been three days straight of something going on with him. And I had to step back and I went to see my husband because I felt this rage that I had never felt before in my life for a newborn. So I think when we have the awareness piece, when we have the ability to kind of step back, we can stop those moments from happening. And, you know, I've had friends that have come to me to say, like, I hit my child and they think that I'm going to get mad at them. I don't. I get curious and compassionate the same way that I would for anybody else. I will do that for them as adults who are struggling and I will do it for their child. But I will mm -hmm. keep posting about this because I do feel strongly that if we want to change the cycle of thinking that that is a form of discipline, we need to keep talking about it. I can remember one moment having that rage come over me and I can see all of the steps coming to that moment and pulling my hand back and I slapped my leg. It was one of those moments where I was like, whoa, whoa, mm -hmm. I, I can see that. I can see how that comes over me. I can see how that feels like it's my only way through. And at the same time, that is not the way through. We know that through right. the research. And right. I deeply am so grateful that you are posting those uncomfortable posts and sharing mm -hmm. that message because I, I think it's something that we are changing and is so important. And this is hard work that we're doing. So I appreciate your story. I'm so glad that you shared that here. And I'm just so grateful we've had the chance to connect finally. For those <laughs> listening, Cindy and I have been in conversation likely for two years I around so, sitting yeah. together on the podcast. <laughs> but of course, uh, pandemic and family and work and all of the things that we're doing. So Cindy, tell people where they can find you and what you have going on. 
Thank you. Uh, they can reach me, uh, you know, on my website, kirsneuron.com. I have graduate students who write articles and summarize research. That is what Kirsten Neuron is all about. I come from research background and I just think there's a lot of research out there that can help parents make informed decisions. So that's what I summarize. I have a podcast as well called Curious Neuron. They can reach me on Instagram, curious underscore neuron. And I also have an app called Wondergrade. Wondergrade helps kids ages three to six learn how to regulate their emotions. And there's a parent center on the app because I don't think that we can keep putting the onus on kids to learn how to regulate their emotions. I think that we need to support the parents. Mm. So we've created a section on the app that helps a parent regulate their nervous system before they respond to their kid. So they can reach us at wondergrade.com or uh, wondergrade on Instagram. That's amazing. And all the links are just there in the show notes. You can pull them up and go ahead and click away and check out that app. It's amazing. And it's such a good resource for both parents and children. Thank you, Cindy, for being here. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This helps other people find the episode and the podcast. And don't forget, you can submit your questions to me to be answered on episodes. You can do this on my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. I love getting your questions and answering them here. And if you haven't yet, and you are looking for something to be different in your relationship, please check out my newest resources. I have 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. It's a free handout, a free guide, along with my free masterclass to help you learn how to repair with your partner after the fight. I've heard from so many of you that this session alone left you with pages of notes. And of course, one of my most favorite and most meaningful things that I have done also because of you being in this community, as I have written a book. So if you haven't yet, check out my new book. I didn't sign up for this. It's available on all formats and the paper version is available wherever you buy books and the audio is only available on Audible. Until next time, take good care of you and I will see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care professional. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.